On this episode, I'm in the room with Jeff Vanderstelt discussing living on mission as a Christian. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 27. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @ryanhughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, my goal is to bring you in the room for conversations with interesting people. I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, about their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week, I'm in the room with Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff is the visionary leader of the Soma family of churches and the teaching pastor at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. He's written a new book called Saturate, Being Disciples of Jesus in the Everyday Stuff of Life. In our conversation, we're discussing the diversity of his ministry background, how he and his team have transitioned what was Mars Hill Bellevue to Doxa Church, and how to make disciples through missional communities. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear how you can win a free copy of Jeff's new book, Saturate, from Crossway. Now I want to invite you in the room for my conversation with Jeff Vanderstelt. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on in the room. I really appreciate it. In your book, you mentioned playing hockey in Michigan as a kid, and I was wondering if that's where you and your family are from originally. Yeah, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Muskegon, Michigan, spent the first 18 years of my life there. Okay. Did you grow up in a, were your parents believers, grew up in a Christian home? I did, yeah. Okay. So did you come to faith then at a relatively young age? I came forward at like a like a call to respond when I was eight years old. Uh-huh. Uh, but I would have to say that I, I think that was more of a, I don't want to go to hell. That yeah. sounds like a bad option. That yeah. looks like a better one. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was 21 that I, I would say that I really surrendered my life to Jesus and said, I want to do whatever you want. I'm here to follow you and serve you. And had a, I would say that was probably regeneration um, okay. experience. What were the so. circumstances surrounding that at 21? I had gone overseas to study in Spain in my junior year of college. I uh, had come off a really, really broken situation where the woman I thought I would marry, uh, I found out was with my best friend. And oh. uh, just broke my heart and uh, went over probably to Spain with a lot of anger and a lot of hurt and just seeking um, help. Uh, it turned out that I went to all the wrong things to deal with my pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a night actually where... I was. I got home from some hanging out with a bunch of pe- locals. My mom had been really, really strong in establishing us and reading our Bible every day. Mm-hmm. She was pretty much the one who kept us on the schedule. Yeah. And I learned how to journal. And even though I wasn't always walking, you know, there wasn't. It was like not a probably a dualistic idea of acting like a Christian, but not really walking yeah. the walk. That night, I got home, opened my Bible, and for some reason in that moment, God met me in a way I'd never experienced before. And mm. I very, very clearly heard him say to me, and not in an audible, but in a yeah. un- very recognizable voice in terms of what he was telling me to do. He said, you never gave me your life. You just gave me your afterlife. Yeah. That's what you thought it was, and I want your life. That's and good. uh I got on my knees and surrendered my life to him there in that that bedroom in Denia, Spain, overlooking the Mediterranean Ocean. It's a pretty powerful moment in my yeah, life. I bet. So when did the burden for ministry come? Well, as soon as that happened, I said, I don't know what to do next. I'm in business school. Got one year left. I'll do anything you want. You just got to tell right. me what it is. And about a week or so later, I got an, a letter in the mail in Spain from a camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks saying that they were looking for counselors and someone had recommended that they consider me. I was an athlete in college and so it was a, more of a sports emphasis camp. Okay. So 
they asked if I'd ever considered doing that. And I thought, well, I just said, God, I'll do anything you want. You just got to tell me maybe this is it. So yeah. ended up looking at the sports camp for that summer and realized I was leading kids to Jesus. I loved to teach them the word. It was like the spirit just empowered me in a way I'd never experienced before. I get up and speak and things happen and thought, I, I think I have to do something about this. Yeah. Went home after the summer told my pastor from my church what had happened and didn't know what to do next and said, should I just drop out of school, go to Bible school or seminary? He said, no, most pastors would do well to have a business education, finish your education, yeah. do an internship with me. And so I did that with my youth pastor back home in Muskegon, Michigan. And then a year later, took a job as a youth pastor in Seattle. And that's how I ended up in the Northwest. That's where I met my wife as well. She's from Seattle. Oh, okay. So then how, I know you did a season at Willow Creek and how did you, so you went to Seattle and then you came back out to the Midwest to work at Willow? Yeah, I was actually working at a church, a Christian Reform Church in Seattle. Okay. And uh, God did some great stuff there. And I started working with a ministry called Sun Life uh, Ministry Training. Uh, met Bill Clem through that. And I got recruited to a church in in uh, Chicago that had uh, a fallout with their youth pastor who had been sexually involved with students. Went to prison oh, for yeah. it. Horrible thing. Yeah. I was asked to come and rebuild the ministry. We rebuilt the ministry. And Willow Creek had been aware of what had happened because this church was connected to Willow Creek. It was a Willow Creek Association church. Gotcha. And eventually they asked me to, to step into a bit of a, a fallout, different kinds of uh, fallout, not of the sexual nature, right. but they had some followed in their leadership and asked if I would just come in and do a little bit of consulting yeah. and more informally. And then it turned into them inviting me to take the position to re rebuild the student ministries there. Okay. Well, one of the things I've really appreciated over the years uh, is the way that um, I've heard you talk and write about Willow. And then I, I know that you have some, at this point in your life, significant theological and methodological differences with them, but I've never heard you, I'm not saying you have, and I've just never heard you bash Willow. And I really appreciate that. Uh, and so I wonder when you reflect on your time there, what are some of the good things that you feel like you learned and you took away from there? Well, I'll tell you, it's a it's a culture for leaders in terms of like if you are a leader, it will pull the best out of you. It okay. will force you to to really mature as a leader. And so I hit some crisis points there in my own leadership ability, and I definitely went through some failures as a leader. And they walked me through those, I think, in a very gracious way. I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, Bill Hybels challenged me in ways probably nobody else would have ever challenged me. That I'm so thankful for. He taught me about teaching in a way that I think brought me to another level of my communication ability. My heart for evangelism welled up like crazy. It's mm -hmm. hard to not be around. It's hard to be around Bill and not actually love the lost even more. Right. And so my my passion for evangelism went so high because of Bill. And I I have an evangelist gift, but I think it got it got fanned into flame a lot around him. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, leadership development, some purifying that I needed to go through. I'm thankful I got got to go through there. It was my last year there was the hardest year of my entire life, and yet it was probably the best because God used it to refine me yeah. and change me, and and I think make me ready for the season I've been in the last twelve years. So. Yeah. So thankful for them. Yeah. There's so much that I'm just grateful for when I think about them. And and in all of that, where you were and where you are seem very different, uh, even just in regard to theology. And so I I'm always curious because I grew up in you know charismatic churches or seeker sensitive churches or just atheological churches, and I know what my own 
transformation and change has been in some of those regards. And so what was that process like for you? How did you go from like, you know, the seeker churches of seeker churches, um, uh, Arminian, uh, egalitarian, and now you're like, you know, the missional community guy and reformed and complex. Like, how did that, what was that? Was that stuff that was there before that you kind of put on the shelf when you were at Willow? Or is that something that like, what turned you on to, to these other, this, this, these other, you know, ways of thinking? Well, it's really interesting. First, first of all, with the reform piece, um, Willow actually has both camps. I mean, you really? had John Orberg there, who is, yeah. you know, Presbyterian background. I came from. I, I got my training at Calvin, so okay. I mean, I came with reform background. Um, you had other guys that were reformed and ladies that were reformed, and and then you had others who weren't. And so it really was. It's a unique culture in that it's more of an amalgamation of all that. Like it's coming together a variety of thinking because what's really driving, I think, my, uh, Willow is their heart for the lost. Yep. Um, it wasn't a theological like a, a foundation that was one camp or another. Right. So I think there was room for guys like me to be there. Um, and then in terms of the the seeker versus like, you know, me, obviously much more missional movement out versus pull them all in. Um, the, the, you know, when you look at the roots of Willow, the, in the very beginning, it was it was a missional movement in a lot of ways. And that yeah. it was a youth ministry that was just devoted to reaching the lost, whatever it took. And um, and then Bill, of course, found that in that particular culture, uh, doing an event with a lot more production quality would actually reach those kids' parents yeah. and uh, because of the culture of Chicago. So I, I think it had a missional heartbeat and a passion for the lost. Uh, and then it kind of locked it into a methodology uh, okay. from my observation that then became what we know as the seeker right. targeting kind of thing. But I think at the heart of it, it started with let's train and equip and mobilize the people of God for the mission of God. Uh, and then maybe it became more methodologically controlled um, okay. in nature. So I, I think there was room for me because I was in the youth ministry and there was a lot of freedom to, to have new thinking. In fact, when they hired me, they said, Jeff, we'd like to see the student ministries be the tail that wags the dog around here again yeah. and see if it can be the front running edge of where we might be going in the future. And that played to my entrepreneurial kind of more like pioneering spirit. Right. And I did get to do that for a few years. And we really did decentralize all of student ministries into the region. And we saw a lot of great fruit as a result. So yeah. I think there was room for that. And then even my view, you know, the view of men and women, um, my, you know, it was, it was, a. Uh, I think they allowed for us to have different convictions around that particular issue and how we'd work that out. Okay. And uh, from my observation, Willow Creek was never really an elder-led church. And so how they practice that anyway, um, it's a little different. It seems right. like the elders are a little bit more of an advisory leadership versus they're the ones on the stage preaching, teaching, setting the, the agenda, the doctrine. Really, Bill, in a lot of ways, is leading that church. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was able to work there well. And I, I have a very high view of women in ministry. Right. So, so that was great. Yeah. You know, so, so did you go straight then from Willow to planting Soma? Actually, I uh, moved to Seattle when Bill Clem called me, I'd resigned from Willow, thought I was just going to have to go back into the marketplace. I really didn't know if there was a place for a guy like me in the church anymore. Right. Uh, I just kept thinking, man, Way I think about church, the way that I want to mobilize people in mission in everyday life, maybe that's not church anymore. Maybe yeah. just I just should go back to business. That's my major. I'll start companies and we'll do I'll do gospel centered ministry through business. And and then on the day I resigned, thinking I'm kind of done with church, honestly, in terms of leadership, 
I had three different groups call me and say, hey, would you be interested in considering church planting? None of them had known I was I had resigned. Okay. It just came out of the blue. And of course, I don't believe that was out of the blue at all. Right, that, right. Uh, that was the Lord's timing in it. And Will had done a really great job of helping me discover that I'm a prime catalytic mover. They used a, a, a kind of a personality profile thing um, called SEMA, System for Identifying Motivated Abilities. Okay. And they said, Jeff, you're a prime you're a prime catalytic mover, meaning you either need to start things, catalyze things, and whatever you do is going to grow big, like movement type stuff. So you need to get people behind you to manage because otherwise you'll get sucked back into the weeds of management. And they said, that's what happened to you at Willow. You're not a good manager. You got sucked into the managerial side of church. You're a movement guy, catalytic guy, prime guy, starter guy, go start companies or churches. That was okay. what they advised me in. Yeah. So then I got the call and the it was one of them was Bill Clem. Okay. And he said, Jeff, why don't you come out and join me? Let's plant 20 churches together in the Northwest, reach Seattle to Tacoma. I joined him to help him. He'd already started planting a church called Doxa Church in West Seattle. Okay. And began to work with him. And then they sent me out. They called me an elder in leaving. So they sent, they knew all along, we're, he's only here for a while, then we'll send him out to plant a church. And that was Soma about okay. a year later. So. Okay. And so now, if we fast forward, we, you, you just took over what was Mars Hill Bellevue and Mars Hill Samish. Is that right? Mars, yeah, Mars Hill Bellevue and Mars Hill Sammamish. Sammamish, okay. Yeah. Um, and now it's Doxa Church. And uh, mm -hmm. I was curious, since you've done both now, you've, you're transitioning a church, you've planted a church, you've done both. There's always debate between those two camps about which one's harder. So <laughs> when you think about your experience, how does transitioning a church compare to planting one in regard to difficulty? Well, that's really hard to answer because I'm only three months in. So, okay. Um, but, yeah. But I, I would say, um, I think there's just different kinds of difficulties. You know, I, I hear a lot of people go, man, it'd be so much easier to go plant a church because you get to start from zero and then build that thing up with the DNA you want. And there, there's truth to that, except for the fact that the, as soon as you get any people, yep. then you get all of their past histories and all of their their preferences and all their DNA. And so you're always doing the work of shaping DNA and reforming culture and reforming theology and all that's never going to end. Right. Uh, it's just that you're doing with fewer people. So right. in my case, I've got 850 people to do that with, to really establish a, the, the strong DNA that we want. And if you start with a core, you might only start with 10 to 20 or 30. Right. And that's a lot fewer people. You can get your hands around that quicker, I think. Right. So I think they're both hard. Um, I'm really blessed, to be honest, that I'm stepping into a situation where they have a very high view of the Word of God, a very strong gospel preaching experience, so they love Jesus. There's a strong desire to obey and, and be faithful to His commands. And so, in that sense, I've got a leg up on in some replants because right. there's a high value on the things that pro, that really are the foundation that I need to be able to teach them the other things. And yeah. so, I'm... I'm really blessed and thankful for the work that's gone on before me. That isn't always the case when you replant. Sometimes you're replanting and there is a, a deep void of, of, of Scripture and a void of gospel and a void of a strong foundation or conviction. That's not what I've got. So that's been, you know, sometimes I go, maybe I've got the, the better deal than some. Yeah. You know, and, but there are other things that I'm walking through that are challenging yeah. that we've got to walk through. So. So we were, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I think all church work is hard. I agree. So it's yep. just, just hard. You're in a spiritual battle. You don't know who your enemies are half the time, right? Because you can't see them, you know. Right. And 
So I think it's just hard work altogether. Yeah. Um, so when you just reflect on these last three months, I know you're still fresh in it, but thus far, what have been some of the most challenging things that you find yourself facing? Well, some of the stuff is the assumption of language. Um, that when I say something, I assume someone knows what I mean, and then finding out, no, it meant a little, a little bit different um, than I thought. And I yeah. think in evangelicalism, and even in similar camps, reform camps, you know, even in this case, you know, past background, we're all we were all Acts twenty nine. You assume certain language means the same thing, and it doesn't. And so, f- learning like, okay, I said that, but they heard this. Yeah. Uh, so creating the good feedback loops. What did you hear? What yeah. are people hearing? That's a big one. The cultural piece, you know, Tacoma and Seattle or Tacoma and Bellevue, a lot different than people realize um, in terms of value sets. And so, for instance, I would I would give an illustration of here's how a missional community live this out. And where in Tacoma, that would be. So you're saying like we we get to not do that because we're nonconformists. So that was just an example and we'll never right. do what you just said. Yeah. And in Bellevue, it's more like, okay, that's the example, which means that's setting the pattern. Now we all got to kind of do it just like that. So I've learned, man, I've spoken things and people have taken it very seriously, which I'm thankful for, but in ways I didn't know they would. Right. So some of that culture, uh, some of the... Um, some of the language, those are pieces that have been hard. I think the other thing that's hard is you just don't know people and they don't know you. So you're trying to figure out who do I trust? Who do I give time to? And, and man, I'm, I'm a pretty accessible leader. So I'm giving a lot of time and I love it. I'm so thankful to do that. But am I giving the right time to the right people? Right. Um, I came from being a guy who spoke a lot, you know, around the, the country and I already had a year planned of speaking engagements. I can't just drop those. Yeah. So we had a few weeks back, the elders had a really frank word with me and just said, Hey, you know, we're not getting the development and training we really need from you. And uh, so there's sometimes I think we make assumptions that people have been developed to a certain place and I was wrong on some things. Okay. And that you know, it was a hard day because it meant I failed as a leader and I never want to hear that. Right. Uh, but I love the fact that they had the courage to tell me that. And then we could walk through, well, how do I need to change? What do I need to do different? But even that's hard because it's like they're probably wondering, can we have this conversation? Because it's a hard conversation. How Jeff's going to respond, we don't know because we've never worked with him. Right. And then vice versa. I'm saying, uh, man, you know, like how are they doing with me? And you're building all that trust. Yeah. And it's different when you're raising up leaders versus there's already leaders in place and now you're kind of assessing each other as you go along. Yeah. That's been a big challenge, I'd say. And then a challenge of methodology. Um, I'm coming from a background where we want to do Sunday well, but we really want to do all Monday through Saturday really well. Yeah. So lots of training and equipping in the everyday life, disciples who make disciples. I so appreciate what I'm walking into in terms of a strong Sunday because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Sunday is very important. But what I realized is shifting people to go, now, can we think as seriously about Monday through Saturday as we did about how well the the transitions went and the lights and the music and all that, that you yeah. can spend a lot of time talking about. But at the end of the day, there's only a certain level of, of life change that will produce the more that you work on it. Yeah. So looking, learning how to help people value things rightly without just getting rid of things that were good, appreciating what, what I'm stepping into and saying, good work has been done before me. How do I honor that? Yeah. Sometimes you say things, you realize it dishonored it. You didn't know it. Yeah. You didn't mean to, but it happened. And so creating those feedback loops to go, okay, when am I just saying things I don't realize it's coming across wrong? Right. 
those have been some challenges for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, Especially when you're transitioning a church, it's got to be hard not to only see the things that are wrong in the church. I mean, I'm sort of wired that that's what I see no matter what. And so I wonder, how do you address what's wrong without being dominated by it? Yeah, I think what I've, I'm learning to do is call people to what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So be proactive. Here's where we're going. Here's the vision. Here's what we're going to be about. Here's how we're going to get there. Instead of saying, here's what we did wrong. And I think starting from a position of correction isn't always, unless it's, of course, theological correction, but I haven't right. had to do that. you yeah. know. So it's more like, Okay, if, if all you do is talk about what, what I think people did wrong, it can come across really arrogant yeah. and um, like you're better than the previous. And that's just not true. Um, so I, I think more like this is where God has us next. I mean, the I guess the best story I can tell is um, I was down in Australia speaking at a Bible college and the, 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 I think it was the president at the end, I, my talk said, you know what, if what you're saying is true, which I think it is because it's biblical, mm-hmm. then a lot of what I've spent my whole life doing, I've wasted my time on. And he was at tears. Yeah. Because he realized he was deeply convicted that he had not been serious enough about training people to be disciples who make disciples to see the church mobilized out. And he was deeply convicted by it. And I said, no, no, hold on. I would not have been able to have the conversation I just had in this room from the Bible to talk about what we should do in terms of obedience to the word if you had not created a place in which people value the word of God enough to listen to it and take it seriously. So you didn't waste your time. You God used you to get us ready for today. Yeah. And I think that's how I've learned to look at this too. It's like th- there's there's a next le- uh, next season that God mm-hmm. has us to go through together. It does not in any way discount the greatness of the last season. It just means there's another season. And so instead of going what was wrong, I just say what's next? Yep. Where are we going now? How do we build upon what's been laid? And is there maybe there are things that maybe we didn't get laid well or need to be corrected just a bit. But the more you talk about where we're going and how we're going to get there and what the Bible says about it, the less you have to correct and the more you get to inspire, encourage, and exhort. So I'm doing a lot of that. Okay. All right, friends, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need your help. If we're going to make this as easy as possible for people to find, then we have to increase our visibility on iTunes. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes, and leave a short review. It's that easy. It's such a small price to pay for this great content. Every review makes a huge difference, so keep spreading the word, and thanks for your support. Now back to the conversation. So tell me just kind of specifically, what are a couple of things that you are currently really focused on with your elders, with your team from the pulpit? What are you really focused on right now? Well, uh, one big thing is I made a shift from the idea that the, the mission of the church is to make disciples and plant churches to the mission of the church is to be disciples who make disciples okay. and plant okay. churches. And that, that shift, I think, is a significant one for the church today because we often call people to be about the mission of making disciples. But what they hear, if we're not careful, is bring my friend to church so that Jeff can do it. Yep. Instead of, no, it's my responsibility to be, grow up in the faith, to be able to speak the truth and love to another person. In other words, share the gospel with them. I should be able to, to lead someone to Christ. I should be able to mature them in Christ. And, and I, just to be clear, I'm not saying the leaders were ever saying that that was okay. Right. I just think the language of be a disciple who makes disciples is something we're really hitting on a lot. So people realize, no, you're the church. Yep. You don't you don't go to church. You are the church. The church gathers together on Sunday because it's important to be reminded of who we are because of what God's done in Christ Jesus to change our reality, to change our world. So 
it's it's some of that like okay let's make sure sunday really is doing that right. uh, that it is upholding christ that it is equipping the saints that it is sending them out on mission but not just that i think the biggest thing we're asking is what are all the other things you've got to do to make sure people are truly getting discipled so they can be a disciple who makes disciples so it's bringing our elders down into the nitty gritty the everyday stuff we, exp- we want every one of our elders to have a group of people that they are over, that they know them by name, they know they're in a mission community, they know they have a discipleship plan they can work through, that there's not a person who's a member of Doxa Church that doesn't know who their elder is and know what their discipleship plan is and know what the next year should look like if they're going to be faithful to it. So it's really pushing the leadership down into the everyday life versus keeping them pretty high up. We have to be overseers, but we also have to be elders who are amongst the people. Yeah. So getting our elders amongst the people is a big shift uh, that we're working toward, making sure we're thinking equipping in everything we're doing. Uh, so like even pre-engagement and pre-marriage counseling, how are we bringing gospel equipping through that whole thing? So the couple doesn't realize that not only are they getting ready for married marriage, they're getting prepared to be a disciple-making disciple yep. through yep. our pre-marriage counseling. So it's just making sure everything becomes equipping possibilities and everything is gospel-saturated and everything is for the movement outward to the church, for yeah. the church to be on mission in the city. So that keep asking that. We're doing like audits on what we do. Um, so how much does a meeting really cost? How many people are in the room? How much are their, each one of their hours worth? Right. If we add that up, was that a good stewardship of God's king, his resources? Let's really audit ourselves. Yeah. Changing metrics too. Like let's not just measure uh, what is, is our giving going up, but rather is average Joe, is his giving going up? Yeah. So we've defined who average Joe is by using different statistics of giving and said, this is what average Joe would give if he were giving 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%. So let's grow average Joe up in giving, mm-hmm. not just grow our bottom line giving. It's good. So just different metrics for how do we really measure whether we're really doing what we say? Right. That's a lot of what we're working on right okay. now. So it sounds like you're pretty much downloading the message of your new book. Saturate, <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, it's a it's a gift. I think to be a you're. Just, I think one of the things I appreciate about you is I've never walked away feeling like this is just something that you're just you think about. It's practical coming out of your ministry. And so, how would you summarize the big idea of the new book, Saturate? What's the message of the book? Well, I mean, the subtitle is the the easiest way to 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 give you the summary, and that is being disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. My desire is to, to see a follower of Jesus realize that they are sent by him to be a disciple who makes disciples in, in normal life. Instead of seeing it as like the only way to do it is on a Sunday in an event or in special church programs, which unfortunately has kept the church, I think, at bay. Mm-hmm. And instead of unleashing the potential of the Spirit of God at work in his people in normal stuff. So, that, yeah, that would be it. Like, be a disciple who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. And it's unbelievably non-impressive. I mean, it's just, that's yeah. the reality of it. Yeah. It's just not, it's not show. It's right. like, it's the nitty gritty, messy stuff yeah. of life. But that's where disciples live. And if we can teach people how to make disciples in that, then they can lead people to Jesus in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's the heart is just to see the church be the church, the everyday person get to be in the game. I didn't write it to leaders. I wrote it to normal everyday people. I tried yeah. to keep uh, some millennials in my head when I was writing. And I tried to keep baby boomers in my head that were going into retirement when yeah. I was writing to say, 
this is for you. Right. You you get to be in the game. Yeah, that's good. And central, I know, to the, the disciple making model that you talk about in the book is missional communities as sort of like as a mechanism. By So how does a missional community differ from, say, a community group or the average small group in a church? Good. Yeah, mo- most most small groups, from my observation, have been put in place in most churches for the purpose of assimilation and retention. Yeah. Like we're going to lose – there's a back door because people don't feel connected. we got to get them connected. There's like whole books that would say that very thing you just said. And maybe <laughs> know, so that, that might be what my small groups do. So keep going. <laughs> yeah. And what happens then is if you primary build them for retention, then, then what you measure is how many people are staying. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the evidence of someone's maturity isn't that they just stay, but they, they would be equipped to go. Yeah. And so, for instance, my kids growing up in my household, if I retain my kids in my household till they're 40, I failed as a parent, right. not succeeded. Now, if I keep them until they're 18, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. So there's that, that, that place where you go, we want to train them up in the way they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it, but they will depart from us right. in the sense that they, they're ready to leave and start another family. And so for us, a missional community is that we believe it's the best place, not just to love one another like a family, and not only to express the kingdom of God in tangible ways like servants of Jesus, but to train people up to be missionaries uh, who, who, if we had them long enough, could go to any other part of the world and do what we train them to do without us. That, okay. That's the goal. And my observation is most small groups are at the very front end of the hand-holding of training up children in the faith, which is good. Teach them how to love one another, study the Bible together, pray together, all good stuff. But they often have an, uh, like a ceiling. Mm-hmm. And like, for instance, if a small group said, hey, we think we're ready to start our own church. Are you okay with us just being a core group of a new church? Most churches would go, no, like, right, right. keep doing that. We're going to lose all our people. Yeah. And so it's like, but that's the whole point, right? If, yeah. if we don't have our people trained to go, then we'll, we'll put a bar of their, de- a, a limit on their development and they'll know it. They'll know that, that you don't go above that ceiling because that's seen as rebellion around here. Right. And so that, that's a big difference is the end goal is, is it's training them to go, not just keeping them. Okay. So is the missional community then most often the front door of the church or the way that people get in, if you will, as opposed to in maybe a more traditional model, Sunday morning is kind of the front door. It probably all depends on your culture. Okay. Uh, so like here in the Northwest, uh, there, there's a large population of people who will not go to church and check none on their, which yeah. affiliation are you? And it's where the biggest none list, you know, in the country. Right. So to reach those people, you're not going to get them generally by doing a great Sunday event. Now, some right. will come, but they're still going to, it's going to take probably a lot of relationship with some Christians mm-hmm. before they're ever going to come on the arm of a Christian to an event. Right. Um, so it could be the front door in that culture. We, I've found that Sunday and mission communities are both front doors. Okay. And they're front doors to different kinds of people, depending yeah. on where people are at. Some people want to come to Sunday to stay anonymous mm-hmm. and check this out from afar. And that's a front door. Or for them, there's others who missional community is a front door because they're primarily wanting to, to get a group of people they go out to dinner with. You know, they're, they're buddies that play soccer together, and, and their front doors, their activities in life mm-hmm. that now we're engaged in with them and love them and show them what Jesus looks like if he were to go play soccer in an indoor league or yeah. hang out at the pub on a Friday night, and so they're getting to see Jesus show up in their world. And therefore, they're getting to, to be at least introduced to him in a way that maybe they never met him before. Yeah. So I think they're both front doors depending on who we're reaching. So how do you see I, – I, 
I've been curious about this because obviously where I'm at in Chicago is much more traditionally religious city, a lot more Catholic mainline denomination, more probably de-churched than nuns and unchurched. Um, so do you believe that the missional community model works in all contexts? Um, or does it just, do they look a little bit different? So like the front door, the Sunday being the front door thing in Chicago works a little bit better in that the average person, when they think about church, they still think right or wrong. It's a place I go and and an event that I go to, which is probably why, you know, back to the willow thing, why they saw so much success in the event thing. So how does, how does a missional community work itself out differently in my context in the Midwest than in yours in the Pacific Northwest? I think in a lot of ways you think of it like the synagogue, where Paul would first of all go to the synagogue. So if you've got a place where there's a synagogue kind of approach to to religion, uh-huh. which is Chicago, which yep. is Texas. I mean, there's places around the country, the Bible Belt and all that. Yep. That's when we think of church, we think of the event. Yeah. So you go, I think you join, you're a good missionary and you go, I'm, I'm going to become a synagogue type person and I'm going to reach them through the synagogue. But what I'm going to do is I want to introduce them to Jesus to his commands, to a new life, and then I'm going to get them into a place where they can actually learn how to live that life out. And I know that if I just keep them in the synagogue once a week, that won't do it. So right. like Jesus, i got to call some people to follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So that's where I think the missional community becomes the means by which you actually train them up in the way they're so supposed to go. Okay. You show them what making disciples looks like in everyday life, so they don't keep buying into the idea the only one who really is the church is that guy on Sunday up on the stage right. and the people that help him pull that off. Right. But no, I'm the church. I gather with the church, mm-hmm. but I'm also sent as the church into, into my community. Where am I going to learn how to do that? I think the missional community provides a great place for them to be trained with other people that are going to make a mess of it too. Right. That's the beauty is there's grace in the smaller number allows there to be a lot of mess and, and it doesn't damage the church to have right. a few people figuring this out, like Jesus' disciples. When you have to pull off an event on Sunday, you've got to get that one right. And that yeah. requires a lot more precision and focus and professionalism that only a few get to do, really. So yeah. this allows the many to get into the game, yeah. I think, um, in, in the majority of the week. Yeah. You guys have been doing this for years now. What, what have been some of the most common obstacles to the missional community model? The number one, I would say, is that most people still see church as an event, so they just make the missional community a weekly event. Okay. So, like, my missional community is, is Wednesday night from 6 to 8. Okay. And all they've done is just taken big church and made it small. Okay. And instead of going, no, no, we are the missional community who do gather weekly for maybe a meal and teaching or whatever, learning together – but we have to think of, of us as a family on mission all week long. And even if we're not together, we're still part of something. Yeah. So that event mentality is what I think is keeping the church from making the impact it could make. Because yeah. it, it's sacred, sacred, sacred uh, secular in its mindset. Like yes. most of my life doesn't count. But these Christian events, those are like godly. Yeah. And the rest isn't. Right. That's the biggest one, I'd say. The second one, I think, is I, I'm still convinced that most Christians still primarily have been taught to think like a consumer, uh, not not as a sacrificial servant of Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. it's like, what's in it for me? What are you going to give back to me? Uh, there is this goods and services exchange in most of our thinking because of the culture we live in. So the idea that I might actually get persecuted, rejected, have to suffer, people might come into my house and take things or ruin things. You mean there might be a threat if I did this? Yeah. yeah. I think we've been so taught that being a Christian, you should actually do everything you can to avoid suffering 
that you actually build your ministry around the absence of suffering. Yeah. Instead of, I might open my life to suffering because that's what Jesus promised would happen if we followed him. And I think, I think so much of the church has taught comfort, safety. You're going to heaven when you die, so you'll never have to suffer again. Like our, our message is primarily comfort. And I believe that Jesus is the God, God's the God of all comfort. But he also promised that we would suffer if right. we followed him. So I think that lack of appropriate teaching, not suffering for suffering's sake, not right. new righteousness, that if I suffer more, I'm more righteous. Not that. Right. But, hey, you're coming to follow Christ, there's going to be sacrifice. And it's, you know what? You'll actually find your life if you lose it. Yeah. So it's it's great. Yeah. Well, I heard you... I don't know, it was a month, a couple months ago now down in St. Louis at an Acts 29 quarterly, and you were kind of going through, you just sort of walked through, here's what the average week looks like for me in my missional community. That was really helpful for me conceptually to understand how the missional, missional community is not just small church from six to eight on Wednesday night. So could you just briefly, for the sake of people listening that have never heard that, what does the average week look like for you living in community and on mission? Well, I'll tell you what it did look like. I'm in transition now, yeah. so that if I, it's not what I'm doing consistently now. But yeah. a pretty average week for me would be, okay, Sunday we're at the gathering. Our mission community would gather together at the gathering, those who are followers of Jesus. There's plenty of other people that we're reaching out to that would be a part of the circle of that community, but not committed to Jesus yet. Okay. But those who were, we'd gather weekly, hear the preaching of the word. We'd take communion together in groups, which I'm now doing at Doxa, okay. having people go together and serve each other communion as we set it up, the elders set it up. So that would be a Sunday. Oftentimes people are going out to eat. Let's go get a bite to eat afterwards, you know, or what are you guys doing tonight? Some cases it might be there's a birthday party or a special event, you know, just normal stuff that you'd normally do. Yeah. Um, Monday night, um, my... Of course, we all have jobs, so like we all right. work, you know. Um, Monday night, my wife was meeting with a few other women in a DNA group where that's Dis Discover, Nurture, Act. They do that together, discover what God's Word has to say, respond, and nurturing each other's hearts towards repentance and belief in the gospel. Now what are we going to do and who are we going to tell? That's mm -hmm. kind of a process we taught. Okay. So they would do that on, on Mondays. I was doing that in the morning time in the sometime in the week. You know, It would move around depending on the guy's work schedules, but yeah. we were all trying to do that. So that we had some good accountability for growing in the Lord. Um, in certain seasons, that would change. So like right now, we're doing an auction planning meeting for the school, which is the focus of our mission. Mm -hmm. And we're helping them raise money through an auction for arts education. And that auction meeting happens in our house on Monday night. So the DNA group moves then for the yeah. sake of mission right. to make space for these people. So they're at our house. They're from the school. That's part of our mission. Yeah. And that's therefore part of our missional community. Uh, Tuesday Tuesday night was often a flex night. You know, it wasn't like we did something every night of the week. Yeah. The thing we did is we're all going to eat meals. Let's try to at least three eat three meals together. One with all of us all of us together, which was Wednesday night. We had a family meal. All of us ate together. One might be with some friends that don't know Jesus. Okay. Uh, lunch break, coffee in the morning. Just try to eat with some people that don't know Jesus. Get at the table. Listen to a story, love them well. And then the third one might be with a few others from our missional community. Just not everybody all together, but let's go on a double date or have someone over, serve them a meal. They're part of our family. Yeah. So that could have been any one of those nights. Okay. Um, what was stable was Sunday, a DNA group, and our weekly meal, which was Wednesday night. Okay. What was flexible and spontaneous was when we're going to eat, when we're going to hang out. Yeah. Oh, we're going to go to a movie. Some of us are going to join that movie. Some aren't. Hey, we're going to do a game night. 
Right. Invite some friends over. We're going to do some poker nights. So it just depend on what the activity of the week was. Okay. There were probably three consistent meetings, Sunday, DNA group, family meeting, okay. and then a variety of spontaneous things that might just pop up depending on the mission okay. that we were on. Yeah, that's helpful. So, All right. Yeah. So let's say uh, you've got a, we got a planner listening who's just starting or an existing pastor uh, and without even reading the book yet, like they're in and their paradigm is shifting. Just hearing you talk, um, where do they start? Um, what do you recommend? What would you point? To? I know that, you know, you guys have people out when you were at Soma to trains, just like, so let's say I, I want to make a shift in this direction. What the heck, man? Like, where do I, how do I do that? Well, I, yeah, obviously I'd encourage you to read the book because it yeah. gives you some of the, the thinking behind it. Um, but we have a lot of resources on wearesoma.com. Okay. Uh, we have videos there. We have, they're called Everyday People, Ordinary People Series, where it's just normal people talking about how they're living out. And it looks different depending on the person. Okay. Uh, we have uh, videos on how to equip and train missional communities. Okay. Now we have short ones that are some of the common questions we get. Uh, like, for instance, do you guys believe in the gathering on Sunday? Yeah. And what do you think about that? And so we hit that because a lot of people wrongly assumed we don't believe that we should gather together on Sunday. It's not important. And that's just not what we believe. So there's a variety of videos. I, I don't know how many, 60 or 70 that you can watch there. There, there. Some are three to five minutes, some are 12 minutes, some are 30 minutes. So I'd say that's a really helpful place to go. If you wanted to go even further, we offer Soma School, which is a week-long immersion into our, our community. And you just walk with us for a week and see what it's like. And you learn during the day while everybody's at work. We do more formal training for you. Okay. Uh, and you can even come to a residency, uh, a summer one or a year to three years. Okay. So there's a lot of ways to get access to training. We do a summer one day where we come into a town and that's just like a one day training that exposes you to the, the these ideas. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing to bring your people to, to listen to and say, well, what do we think of this? You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I would say fundamentally, and you, you, you'd hear this in my book, I think we got to get back to just just know Jesus, get to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand the implications of it if we really believed it, yeah. and ask yourself, if everybody believed it that says they're a Christian, how would we live differently? Yeah. I mean, apart from all that I just said, I think the ramifications of following Jesus are strong enough that we, we the scriptures and the gospel accounts are enough. We don't yeah. really need anything else, yeah. and hopefully we're not saying anything new. Hopefully we're just calling right. us back to what he already said. Yeah. So. Well, that's great. That's a great place to end. Uh, the book's awesome. Uh, you've been a constant blessing to me and to our network. And you're like this constant sort of like the very first time I heard you speak, I don't think I've ever told you this. I, I really, I was like a year and a half into my church plant and I just thought I should quit. I was so, so convicted at the end. Like, I don't think I'm making a disciple of anybody and, uh, this whole thing sucks and I think I'm done. And, uh, but you've been this, um, yeah, just a really constant, encouraging and convicting voice in my life and the life of so many. So thanks for your ministry. We're praying for you at DOXA. You have a tough job in front of you and we're really thankful for you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be a, a godly irritant in your life. That's right. A godly irritant. I like that. That's what you were. I'm going to, we'll call your memoir, the godly irritant. It comes with some salve of the gospel. It does. It always does. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff's new book is published by Crossway, and they've generously agreed to give away a free copy of Saturate. Now, here's how you can enter to win. If you haven't already, head over and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ITR podcast. That's facebook.com slash ITR podcast. Simply share this week's episode, and we'll choose one person at random on Friday to give the book to. 
That's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley and also on my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week with episode number 28 and my conversation with worship leader Stephen Miller about his new record, Liberating King. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.